Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud.
So let's break it down. Paul starts his prayer with thanksgiving. This prayer is triggered by what Paul has heard of these Christians in Ephesus. He has heard of their faith and he knows they are trusting the Lord and he's also heard of their love and care for one another. And this is what happens when the Lord gets involved with a group of people. It leads to faith and it leads to love. And it's a product of those blessings that I just listed um, earlier. And when Paul sees faith and love, he can't help but pray. He can't help but turn to God and thank him. And when I read this, I thought, these guys are doing great. Surely that's enough. I mean, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for God's people. They are the two greatest commandments. What more can you possibly do? What more can we possibly do? But Paul goes on in verse 17, saying there is more for these Christians in Ephesus, which means there's probably more for us. He prays that they would get to know God better and be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of him. Paul writes in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. And I personally think that Paul must just know everything that is to know about the Lord. He's written an absolute chunk of the Bible. What more is there there for him to know about the Lord? But he is saying the more you know Christ, the more you want to get to know him better. The more you get to know Jesus, the better he gets, the sweeter he gets. So Paul is praying that they would also, like him, know God more. And then in this prayer, Paul goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I don't know if anyone's picked up a connect card or one of these giving cards recently and has kind of had to hold it out and do a bit of a funny face, a bit of a focus like that. Well, one of nature's gifts gifts to me when I turned 40 was failing eyesight. Um, And I realised, I didn't realise I was kind of doing that funny thing until a friend of mine pointed it out. And then they gave me their glasses because they just have their eyes touched. These are my glasses. But they gave me my glasses and I was like, wow, I can see. (laughs) I felt like singing that song, I was blind and now I can see. It was just so much clarity that these that the glasses gave me. And I had no idea how bad my eyes were. And <clears throat> suddenly everything came into focus. I finally got my eyes tested, hence me wearing them. Because I need to see my notes more than I need to see you. Um, but Paul is saying here, in the same way that my glasses gave me clarity, gave clarity to my sight, the eyes of their hearts need to improve. They need to come into focus, and they need to be spiritually clear. They need to be enlightened. Paul is not being realistic here. He's not talking, as we often hear, about your knowledge dropping from your head knowledge to your heart knowledge. Um, Paul would have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Because in the ancient world, the heart both describes people's thinking, but also their feelings. So what Paul is saying here is that um, we can get to know Jesus in a more holistic way. I don't know if you remember that 1990s, I think it was like 1990s, that Christian song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. 
I want to see you. I might have a Britney mic on, but I'm not going to sing it. Um, we need God to open the eyes of our hearts because our own natural spiritual perception is so clouded. It's hard for us to see the true love of God. It's hard for us to see the true goodness of God. And it's hard for us to grasp the true power of God. It's the Spirit that reveals to us the truth and enlightens our hearts. In 2016, I was in a pretty low place in my life. I was feeling pretty hopeless. I was feeling like I didn't have much purpose. I felt like God had forgotten me. My heart's desire of marriage and children were just slipping away, and I was becoming less engaged with church. I was becoming less engaged with the Lord, and I felt that I was just holding on to my faith by a thread. And my guest and his wife, they were super passionate about single ministry, and they um, agreed to host an event called Single Life Workshop. And I was invited by my guest to go along. And I was pretty fuming, if I'm honest, that he invited me to that. Because first of all, who calls an event Single Life Workshop? And I thought, I do not need to workshop my singleness anymore. I felt I was an absolute pro at that. Anyway, because the vicar was a friend, I came in and I went along. And this course, I found out, was actually about building healthy kingdom relationships. And in the very first session, I just arrived, and you know on there, in the very first session, I just remember C.S. Lewis quote come up on the screen, and I just started crying, like proper weeping. And those that know me, I'm a pretty steady eddy when it comes to my emotions. I don't fluctuate a great deal. So for me, crying in front of a bunch of strangers was um, something quite unusual. And why did I cry? I think in that moment, the, the eyes of my heart were enlightened by the Holy Spirit to all the riches of God's blessing over me. And it was so unexpected that moment, and it was so powerful for me. The Holy Spirit came upon me, and I'd been carrying around such a deflated balloon of hope that he just blew it up, and I just felt this hope that I'd never had before. And I didn't do anything formulaic in that moment to have my eyes and my heart open. It just happened. But what I found out later was in the back room, there were some faithful intercessors that were praying for us as a group. And they were praying that our eyes of our heart would be enlightened to the Lord. This prayer absolutely transformed me. It's such a powerful prayer. It's like we need to have it in our prayer toolkit. It's an evergreen prayer, and we can pray it for ourselves, and we can pray it for others. And Paul doesn't finish there. We've got plenty more verses to go. There is so much more that this prayer contains. And Paul starts to get specific. He wants to pray for three specific things that he wants their hearts to be enlightened to about God. The first one is the hope of his calling. The second is the riches of, of the glory of his inheritance in his holy people. And the third is his incomparably great power for us, he believes. So the first one, I'm going to take them one by one. The first one is um, the hope of his calling. So what is the hope of his calling? 
I think in today's culture, we often, um, the word hope is often used to represent wishful thinking. But the root word of the word hope means to trust and wait expectantly. So, unlike my nephew last weekend who was blowing out candles on his birthday cake and making a wish to chase a man city, <laughs> biblical hope is not vain or fanciful thinking. Instead, biblical hope rests in the sure and confident expectation that God, through Jesus, will meet our needs both in the present and for all eternity. So if, you, if your life feels hopeless at the moment and meaningless right now, that's not a life that God has called you to. Paul prays we could always see our present circumstances in the light of this future hope. And whatever your present is, it doesn't determine the meaning of your life. So Paul is saying, I want your eyes to be open to all the blessings, all the blessings that I mentioned at the start, the blessings that bring us hope, and those blessings that, that brought me hope. And the second thing that Paul mentioned is the riches of God's glorious inheritance in his holy people. So Paul wants us to not only know our hope, he also wants to know, us to know the riches of God's inheritance. And I don't know about you, but I so often think of my inheritance as a Christian, what I get and need from the gospel message. But here Paul is talking about God's inheritance. Guys, God is also looking forward to eternity. God is longing for eternity. And what's God's inheritance? God doesn't need any more things. What God is looking forward to in eternity is you. You are what he's looking forward to in eternity. That's why he came, that's why he died, that's why he rose again, and that's why he made you. He is longing, he is waiting, and he is believing for that moment when he gets to see you face to face. You have absolute immense value. You have infinite value because of the value that Jesus placed on your life. Just let that so in. You see your value when you see Jesus. I think I got quite emotional unpacking this. This is a joy of preaching. You get to unpack every little thing. And I don't think I fully grasped that God is looking forward to me in eternity so much. I think I often restrict my value on God and how I value myself. And in just praying this prayer over myself has helped me see how valuable I am as a daughter of God. And then, so finally, um, point three, Paul prays that these Christians are enlightened to this immeasurable extensive resource of power that's available to them if they just have eyes to see it. And Paul uses three words, but in Greek, all mean power. But they describe different qualities of power. Um, the first term is a Greek word called dynamis, and it's where we get the word dynamic from. Um, he wants to be dynamic in your life. He wants to be active. And it's also the root word for dynamite. It's that explosive power that we as Christians have. And the second is energy, I think, or energy. 
and it's referring to supernatural, superhuman, mighty energy. It's that powerful working of God. And then the third word is kratos, and it literally means power and strength. And you may be thinking, that's great, Lucy, thanks for that. But why have you gone into detail about that? It's because Paul uses three different words to describe God's power. And whenever scripture says things three times, it's always worth noting. We sang in one of the worship songs earlier, Holy, Holy, Holy. And scripture says in Isaiah and Revelation, Holy, 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 which means that he is perfectly holy. It's one of his supreme attributes. So here when the Bible says that God is powerful, 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 we know that he is completely powerful. It's also one of his primary characteristics. And those theologians, um, which I definitely don't classify as one, says that God is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. But what does that mean? I often find power is a little abstract. And it's hard to grasp how powerful God is. And as we read, it's immeasurable. So Paul, in the next few verses, he goes on a bit of a power trip. He gives us some concrete examples of how great this power is and how every word is charged and every word matters and it will take us hours to do a Bible study on this. So I'm not going to do it justice, but I do want to touch on each point. So let's begin in verse 20. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So how great is the power of God? Well, first of all, God used it when he raised Jesus from the dead. And there are many powers in this world that take life, but only God can give the power. Only God has the kind of power that can give life. And that power raised Jesus from the dead. And as the verse said, it's the explosive, dynamic power that we also have inside us, if you believe. It's the power to heal the sick. And I love this quote. It says, If the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of the love of God, the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of his power. So if you think your life is not powerful, if you think that you don't experience his power, maybe start with the utter wonder, the dynamic power that Jesus has saved you. And then verse 20 says even more about God's power. It says that it says that power also seated Jesus at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. That power didn't just raise him from the dead, it also gave him right to rule at God's right hand. And then it says Jesus is seated far above all rule, authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In Paul's day, in Paul's day these five words, rule, authority, power, dominion and title, they describe different levels of spiritual beings. It's kind of like a spiritual hierarchy. But it's not just a spiritual reality. The Bible reveals that these terms also refer to earthly 
realities that govern, guide, and direct earthly rulers, nations, institutions, and powers that dominate the world. So Paul is saying here, hey, I know you have concerns about your government and what they're doing and what they have done, or concerns about the police and how they abuse their power, or maybe financial institutions and how they steal from the poor. Or maybe you have concerns about the power structures in your job and how they endanger your income. Or maybe concerns about social and cultural issues of racism, sexism, and inequality. But all these powers, rulers, and authorities are under Jesus. He has dominion and power over them. Jesus is far above them, and he is in control. Which is exactly what Paul says in the next verse. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. So God took all these things that are wrong about the world and placed them under Jesus' feet. Jesus was given authority over them. And Paul writes that Jesus was appointed to be head over everything. But this I sometimes feel it's least a problem. If you look around the world, does it look like Jesus is in control of everything? Our governments, our politicians, or the banks, or the leaders, or the educational institutions, are all the power structures of our world doing the things the way that Jesus would do them? Hardly. So how can all things be brought under the control of Jesus so that they do what Jesus once done in this world. Unsurprisingly, Paul gives the answer in the next verse. He says, For the church which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. The answer is the church. Though Jesus is the answer to the problems of the world, the church, us, is the solution. The church is how Jesus accomplishes change in the world. And when the church steps up as the body of Christ, we, as the hand, speech, and voice of Jesus, we will fill everything in every way. And the power of God will flow through us and transform the, way, the world in the ways that Jesus wants and desires. God is in the transformation business, but we, the church, we must join in. The great temptation for you and me is Potentially to turn Christianity into consumerism and privatise the gospel or individualise our faith. And if we do this, the power that I've just spoken about will just drain from us. When we're called to a life with Jesus, we're also called to a life with people. We're called to be part of God's church. And when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, our eyes are open to see his church. Our eyes are open to see the way Jesus' eyes burn with love for the church. Because fundamentally, at its, at its heart, the church are the people, you and me. And I wonder, do you see the church like that? Do you see the power the church has to fill and transform the world in the ways of the kingdom of God? You may see the church as a disgrace. You may see disappointment and division. You may see the church even discarded by society. But Jesus sees everything. And for some reason, Jesus just won't let us go. The church is God's 
grand plan. And we need to grasp this. It's a centerpiece for humanity. It's a centerpiece of history. It's the only organism or institution that will exist for eternity. And maybe like you, you needed that deeper revelation, a deeper revelation of how key the church is, how key we are. And I wonder, when you look at London, do you see the church transforming the city with its power? As I look at London, I see a city not unlike Ephesus. A city full of power and a city full of influence. But when I see one first, I see people seeking lust. I see people who seem to be okay on the surface, but just underneath they're barely holding it together. And I see eye-watering stats about youth crime and violence. But then I look again. I look again, I see B61. I see RTK. I see Mercy Seat. I see, I see Jigsaw. I see our youth clubs. I see our emergency compassion funds. I see our prison ministry. And I see people gathering throughout the month praying for our community, for revival in our area. I look at one of town centre in Ballam and Battersea and I see people medicating themselves with lager or medicating themselves with rosé, deeply unfulfilled by the pursuit of pleasure and eros love and the pursuit of love. I see young people without purpose and meaning. And I see exhausted mums where everything falls on them and they've not got time for themselves. And I see people who are desperately lonely. But then I look again and I see the hub in Ballon. I see people getting the care they need. I see the community initiative. I see healing on the streets. I see toddlers. I see messy church. I see our community football and frisbee activities. I see Westside Football Club. And I see people coming from all walks of life, coming into this building, coming into Ballon and back to sea, and coming on a Sunday and having the eyes of their hearts being enlightened to who Jesus is. And if you ask others when, what they see when they see the church, they might just say it's a building on the corner opposite the common by Melody Road. But I see people full of joy out, going out of this church, making an impact out there as well as in here. I see people going to fill everything in every way with this power. But you've got to have eyes to see it. You've got to have eyes to see that the church is God's grand plan for humanity. And we've got to step into it. What do you see? As I come into land, I want to invite SP up to lead us in worship. And I said at the beginning, this prayer that Paul writes is a prayer to all Christians. It's to us as well, not just the Ephesians. It's a prayer that we would realise God's purpose and power at work in us as the body of Christ. So I want to end with a question. Where do we, where do you need to have the eyes of your heart enlightened? Do you need a fresh revelation of the resource, this resource of dynamic, explosive power that we have inside of us as believers? 
Well, may the eyes to see that the church is Jesus' hope to the world, that we, you and me together, are key in God's plan for humanity. Or maybe you're just sitting there, feeling hot, feeling weary and exhausted, and just needing a fresh grasp of his hope, like I did. A fresh grasp of the purpose that God has called you to. And I just want to encourage you as we head into worship to pray and ask God to enlighten your heart to whatever you need a fresh revelation on. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.